All right. Welcome back, everybody. We just had a great conversation with rapper, author, fellow Bitcoiner. You've probably seen him on the Joe Rogan Experience, the Rubin Report, the Ben Shapiro Show, Fox News, the BBC. Now he is on Altcoin Daily, Zuby. Dude, what do you think of the interview? Dude, Zuby, awesome guest. This man always brings, you know, he's known for what some might deem controversial opinions. Now, here's the thing. To get this exclusive, Zuby right now is in Romania with his girlfriend um, doing many things, but one of them is um, composing and producing and mixing his new album. So he comes at us all the way from Romania. Some of the frames were dropped in this interview, but the audio is crystal clear. And I loved it because he, he, talks, uh, he talks to us about his thoughts on Bitcoin, how he got in, you know, what he's doing on VeChain with his apparel line. Uh, he even gives us some insight on his personal investing strategy and portfolio. Check the timestamps down below and let's fade in. And just one more thing before we get into this conversation, just for the Altcoin Daily audience, just for the next 24 hours, there is a promo code, a password down below if you want to take advantage of the pre-sale of this clothing line on the VeChain blockchain that Zuby's going to tell us about. And we ask him a ton of questions about it. So click the link down below, use the password, and without further ado, our conversation with Zuby. But just generally speaking, how did you first get into Bitcoin? What was your experience with crypto? Yeah, sure thing. So I first heard about Bitcoin, man, I want to say maybe, I mean, I didn't invest it this time, so I don't want to get excited, but I think I probably first heard about it 2012, 2013 sort of time. Um, I actually studied computer science at Oxford University, so I'm more of a tech person than people probably realize because I, I don't. I don't deal with that in my in my day to day life anymore as a as a creative and as an entrepreneur. But I actually studied I, I did computer programming and stuff like that at university. So I've always been interested in computers and tech. I learned stuff about you know networking and AI and a tiny bit of cryptography, lots of complex mathematics, all that kind of stuff. So as someone who always kind of keeps their eye on what's going on in the tech world, I just seen the word Bitcoin floated about here and there. I never investigated it properly though until 2017. Um, I don't know exactly what it was that spurred it. I think I, I remember seeing, actually I think I remember seeing a couple friends posting uh, on Facebook about it. I saw people making money off of it or whatever and I thought, hmm, let me look into this thing properly and it just kind of blew my mind and I, I read a bunch of books about it. I read um, Andreas Antonopoulos's books. Um, I read The Bitcoin Standard. I read a book called Crypto Assets. I was doing research. I kind of delved heavily into crypto Twitter, crypto YouTube, all these kind of things. And initially, the money I put in initially was just kind of, this is sort of towards the later, latter half of 2017 when the market started going crazy. And I did sort of jump into it sort of on the, let me make some money quick kind of thing. But then once I actually did my reading and I did my research and everything like that, I realized, okay, this is not just, um, this is not just a short term, quick way to make a buck. This is something very, very revolutionary. Um, I'm 34 years old, so I'm kind of at that age where I remember the whole population going through some huge adoption waves. So from the internet itself, you know, starting with dial-up and then broadband internet, mobile phones. I remember when barely anybody had a mobile phone and now they're completely ubiquitous. Um, had saw the same wave with Facebook. I've been on Facebook since 2004. Prior to that, saw the same wave with email. I remember when people 
thought that it was pointless having an email address because nobody else had one, no one else was using it. So a lot of the things people said about those technologies, same things people said about smartphones, same things people said about uh, social media in general, a lot of these technologies, the way people talk about Bitcoin now and talk about cryptocurrency in general, it was very reminiscent of the way people used to talk about these technologies, which we now use in our day-to-day -day lives and don't really know how we would live without. So I was like, okay, this is not one that I'm going to miss. I was too young to sort of jump on the internet wave. I was too young to be able to invest in Facebook. I wouldn't have had any capital for it, et cetera. But now I'm in a position where I'm seeing this and it's like, okay, this is a rare opportunity that's going to happen in my own lifetime as a millennial. And so let me not pass this by. Um, and as someone who's very libertarian minded as well, someone who's very much about uh, personal responsibility, not having massive government overreach, all that kind of stuff. And someone who's pretty cognizant of uh, some of the flaws of our modern monetary and economic systems. Bitcoin was actually a very quick and easy sell to someone like myself. Um, so that is how I initially got into it. So I made my first investment in it in 2017, but I'd heard about it many years prior without bothering to do any research and find out what it is. So is your personal philosophy, I mean, we're all so early, anything could happen, but you named uh, Saifedean of the Bitcoin Standard and Andreas Antonopoulos as two big influences. And they have uh, different philosophies when it comes to cryptocurrency. Saifedean, more of a Bitcoin maximalist. Bitcoin is what's revolutionary. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos, um, he's more of, he's mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum by name, but he comes at it. Anything that's open source, permissionless is revolutionary. How, how do you see it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not someone who's like hardline on, I'm hardline on a couple of things, but um, when it, when it comes to the crypto world, I'm not super hardline. I'm sort of, I'm Bitcoin maximal-ish. I'm not someone who thinks that Bitcoin is the be all and end all and everything else is a waste of time and is going to flop and is not going to provide any value in the future. I think that probably 98% of the market is, um, you know, not really going to do anything in the super long term. But I think that there are dozens at minimum and possibly hundreds of crypto projects that I think will have some use in the future. And I think that there will be more to come. So I'm generally, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin itself. I think, I don't think anything is going to supplant Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is very much its own unique asset and nothing else is going to come and take its place. I think it's way too late for that unless something, I don't know, unless, unless there's some huge black swan event or something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think Ethereum has its purpose being something that's Turing complete. Um, and again, you know, having a computer science background, I can see how Ethereum can offer something that's pretty different to, that's not pretty different, you know, very different to what Bitcoin does. Sure, it could function as some form of currency, but I don't see its main use being that. Um, I think the ability to build decentralized apps um, and things like that, that's, uh, Ethereum's more like a global decentralized computer. It's kind of got the potential for that. So what you can build on Ethereum is different from Bitcoin. I view Bitcoin simply as a, currency slash store of value, um, more akin to gold, more akin to, I guess gold is probably the best comparison, but it can also um, double up like a dollar or a pound. Um, and you can actually use that for standard transactions. I do actually use Bitcoin. Like I do receive payments in Bitcoin. I sell products in Bitcoin. I do actually use it. It's not some just magical internet money to me. Like I actually do use it and I've used it for a couple of years. So um, it's not, it's not replace, replacing the pound or the dollar just yet and possibly most likely I don't think it ever totally will 
But um, I think that the next generations, just like we're totally, just like we're, we're a generation that's completely used to using the internet and smartphones and having video games and stuff, and we don't really think about it. I think that Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies, I think for, for those next young generations, you know, I've got nieces and nephews who are between the ages of one and early teens now. And I think that, that, that when they're in their 20s, when they're my age and further on, I think that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology in general is just going to be something that's as common and normal as the internet and smartphones and all of that is to us. I don't think that, you know, I think they'll probably look back and wonder how they lived without it, just as people in our generation could look back and kind of wonder how did people do things prior to the internet. I completely agree. I like it. And coming at it from sort of an artist and an entrepreneur point of view, in the short term, what are you most excited for, for cryptocurrency in 2021? Um, I'll be real, man. Gains. Like I went through the bear market of the past couple months. I, I've, ne I've never sold any of my Bitcoin before. So I rode, I, at the worst stage, my portfolio was down 80% at the worst stage. At the bottom of the bear market, my portfolio was down 80%. So I, I literally hodled all the way down whilst everyone else was freaking out and selling. Um, and then when it bottomed out, I mean, I was dollar cost averaging. I did continue to buy all the way through the bear market. So it's kind of beautiful to have my portfolio back in the black, back in the black and uh, considerably up again. So after that two years of pain of just watching money sort of fading away, I, I never materialized those losses, which was smart, but um, I'm looking forward to getting the other side of the cycle and actually being able to make some profit. So in the short term, 2021, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. But uh, beyond that, I'm very excited to see what Bitcoin and other cryptos are going to do on a, on a global level, on a, you know, just a, on a world changing level. I think everything is still so early. I think for the people who are sort of really into crypto, it can feel like, oh, wow, you know, stuff is really developed and look, we've got all these people, we've got Twitter communities, there's communities on Discord and Reddit and YouTube and all of that stuff. And you've got millions of people involved. But um, I mean, I don't know what the actual stat is, but I doubt that more than 1% of the world's population owns any cryptocurrency. So the ad adoption has not even really started yet. So that's exciting because I think if Bitcoin does what it has the potential to do, then um, yeah, like we're, we're literally just getting started. Hey, out of totally. all the... All the top new media shows that you've done, like Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, what sort of, just because I watch those shows, uh, a couple of them, what sort of, what's been your experience like that? Or what's been one of your favorites that you look back on? Be like, ah, uh, that was a great experience. Yeah, man, all of them. Uh, before we jumped on this call, I just got a DM from Joe Rogan, actually. So he retweeted me today. So. Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I often forget that he follows me on social media, but occasionally he'll drop me a message or like something or retweet something, which is pretty cool. Um, honestly, all the people you mentioned, I have huge respect for, and I genuinely like um, those three people you named, Dave Rubin, Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan. These are all really good guys, like genuinely decent people, like having met them all in real life um, and been on their shows and actually talked to them and interacted with them. You know, it's... They're the real deal. I think a lot of times people see talking heads on YouTube or see people kind of on their screens or whatever. And they're like, hmm, is that person like that in real life? Or what's that person like? And so I can vouch, I think those are all like cool, genuine dudes. 
In terms of the um, interviews themselves, I really enjoyed all of them in different ways. Um, I think in terms of the in terms of the interview itself, I think the one I did with Ben Shapiro on the Sunday special was really good. Um, it wasn't a, it was it was very focused, and it was quite a it was quite a challenging interview as well for me because um, it wasn't just kind of it wasn't just kind of shooting the breeze. I was asked some pretty some pretty hard questions, and as you know, uh, someone like Ben has very strong <laughs> me being a rapper, I, as you know, uh, Shapiro hasn't doesn't. I, I'm I'm actually the person I have the I, I I'm proud to be able to say I'm actually the person who convinced Ben Shapiro that hip hop is in fact a form of music. So um, <laughs> that, nice. was definitely, uh, that was definitely a victory. Um, but yeah, all of them were fantastic. The appearances I did on Fox News were great. Um, meeting Tucker Carlson, you know, that whole US trip was, was crazy, man. The whole thing was crazy. I mean, by the end of it, I ended, up, I ended up in the White House. I ended up in the Pentagon. Like, I don't even, I'm thinking back to it. I'm like, I don't even know what I was doing. I don't even know. <laughs> it was very, it was very surreal. It was very surreal. I went to what eleven different cities, um, met so many people, and um, yeah, man, I, I was plan. I was supposed to be going back out to the states multiple times this year, but um, apparently there's a virus going around or something. So <laughs> that's what I hear. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, you know, in the '90s we had Carson. In the 2000s we had Howard Stern. To me. And to my friends, it's Joe Rogan. Like that's what you sort of dream about getting the call, getting invited on. Could you just yeah. like walk us through how you got invited <laughs> on the Joe Rogan experience? Okay, sure. Uh, so this is going back a little bit. So end of February, 2019, um, I posted a tweet where I was deadlifting 230 kilos, which is wow, 500 and, 500 and something pounds. Nice. And um, I tweeted a comment, something like, I keep hearing about how biological men have no strength advantage over women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. I identified as a woman while lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. So I just tweeted this. I, I've got a lot of tweets. I've tweeted almost 100,000 times. I just put this tweet out there like I put my other tweets out there thinking it'll get some LOLs. It'll get some uh, smiley face emojis. It'll get some retweets. Little did I know that I was about to sort of create this huge global international internet moment. And the video went on to rack up millions and millions of views. It got retweeted all over the world. It was talked about on the news. Joe Rogan talked about it on his podcast. And um, he did a podcast. It was with, um, who was he with? I think it was with Brian Callen. And uh, they were just talking about the, they were just talking about this tweet on the podcast and he pulled out his phone from his pocket and he just said, who is this guy? Like Zuby, I'm going to follow him right now. Shout out to, to shout out to Zuby. And then he DM'd me. Um, and then I actually got invited to, um, so the previous year in 2018, when Jordan Peterson was doing his 12 rules for life tour, um, I got invited to uh, Dave Rubin actually invited me to the show in Oxford. So um, I, met, I met Dave there and we'd been in touch and he actually invited me to come on the Rubin Report. So I knew I was going to be going out to Los Angeles for the first time. Uh, this is in, I knew I, it was planned for September and knowing I was going out to LA and knowing that Joe's there, I actually just DM'd Joe saying, man, I'm a big fan of your show, et cetera. If you'd ever want to have me on, like I'll be in LA in September, let me know. And he was just like, F yeah, brother, like, let me know when you're here, we'll do it. So that's how that one came about. And then the dominoes just started to fall. Uh, once I was in LA, people just started reaching out to me. Uh, the Daily Wire reached out to me, said they wanted me on Ben Shapiro's show. Fox News reached out to me. I, I was just, I think just in LA alone, I think I did like 20 interviews or something like that um, in a week. So 
it was, um, it was, it was just crazy. And then I was out in the U S for 11 weeks and more and more opportunities just kept, kept coming. Um, so, so that's sort of how it happened. It was very, um, very organic and <laughs> very, very weird. Um, but it was a big blessing because with, with my music and everything else for a long time, I've always wanted to build and develop an audience in the USA and especially being an independent artist from the UK, I never really knew how to do that. So it's kind of funny that in a very roundabout way, me doing this sort of viral deadlift video ended up being the thing that exposed me to realistically millions of people all over the world. And that's the thing that sort of really opened the door for me to get these opportunities and start building my audience um, in all of these different countries. So that's why I'm really excited about this next album actually, because this will be the first album I'm actually releasing since all of this stuff happened. I mean, you have to remember when I tweeted, when I made that tweet, I had 19,000 followers on Twitter. As of today, I think I have 327,000, something like that. So, and that's just on Twitter. So, I mean, my audience in general has gone up by over half a million people since I last put out an album. And um, a lot of those people don't really know me for my music. So I'm very excited to actually put out some brand new music and be able to introduce a lot of those people who follow me for other reasons to my music itself. So that's pretty exciting. Cool, cool. Yeah, that is really exciting. Um, congratulations on breaking that uh, record, by the way. Do you still hold the record? Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, it wasn't hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, unless another um, person such as myself has um, identified as a woman and beat in it, then I think, I think it's still intact. Um, if it gets beaten, I'm fairly sure it's certain I could take it again. But um, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are in 2020. It seems to change every year. I would love to know how you got involved with the Bitcoin movement who I know made these shirts, they're not your line, and how you decided to work with VeChain to make 300, do you call them art pieces or just collectible? Or would you describe your collection? Um, I'd describe it as exclusive limited edition merchandise. Um, I wouldn't, I guess you could call any merchandise an art piece technically, but um, that, that probably sounds a little too, <laughs> a little bit too contrived. So I'd say uh, limited edition merchandise. So, wow, how did that come about? I think, um, I think Daryl from the Bitcoin movement, I think he reached out to me, um, I think initially about doing a, a couple of sponsored Instagram posts or something like that. So he sent me a bunch of t-shirts and they wanted me to take some photos and um, post some stuff. And then we stayed in touch. Um, we started following each other on social media and you know, developed a bit of a relationship there. And then um, I think he, he just floated the idea of doing some kind of exclusive collection and I was like oh wow that would be that would be really cool so we started going back and forth about some ideas on emails we sketched out some different designs and things like that and he came up with the idea of um, embedding the NFC chips in them so that we could combine um, merchandising and something in the real world which I have a lot of experience with I have a big big team Zuby merchandise line and combining that with the passion for Bitcoin and actually putting it on the blockchain so that when people scan their product, whether it's a t-shirt, a hat, or a hoodie, they can actually see, they not just verify that it's um, an authentic part of the collection, but they can also see what number piece it is. So for example, if you get cap number five, you'd scan that on the app and it'll actually show you, you have number five out of 150 um, and that'll go across the board. So, and VeChain is the technology that's being used to do that. So as far as I know, this is actually uh, a first of its kind in the world, this collection that we're gonna launch has never, no, one, no one's actually done this before. 
Um, so it's very groundbreaking and it's, um, it's a little bit futuristic. It's something that's a, a little bit different. I've done limited edition merch in the past, but it's never had any technology embedded into it. So I love the opportunity to combine a whole bunch of things that I'm really passionate about. So my music, um, merchandising, Bitcoin technology, I just love being able to combine all those things. So the idea gets me pretty hyped. But only 300 pieces of uh, apparel, dude. You, you have an audience of, you know, a million people. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll sell. Hopefully they'll sell. Hopefully it'll sell out quickly. Um, yeah. We just got to make sure we promote it well to to all of them. But it, people are already joining the waiting list. So, yeah, uh, our, nice. our audience is going to scoop them all up, honestly. Yeah, man, that'll be that'll be <laughs> fantastic, man. And and the the items themselves are are really dope. Like I'm I'm huge on merchandise. Like I've been into my. I released my first album in 2006 and I think like I made my first piece of merchandise at the exact same time. Um, I used to just have these t-shirts that said, I'm down with Zuby, are you? They actually used to be really popular, popular in my university. So in, in my university, people would just walk around wearing those. Um, and so, and then from there, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, I actually used to, um, before I started sort of promoting my stuff online more, I used to actually just uh, firstly started out selling my CDs on the streets of the UK. I did that for many years. That's how I primarily made my income when I first became a full-time rapper. And then I used to do pop-up shops all around the country. So I used to go to shopping malls all over the UK and set up stands with my t-shirts, hats, hoodies, um, all my merchandise, my CDs, everything like that. And I used to just, just hustle, just do that real, real world hustle day in, day out. And that's really how people initially knew me prior to the uh, sort of, internet wave of popularity that happened last year. So, um, yeah, so just to say I'm, I'm hugely in my, my merchandise game, you can probably see it, probably see the hat right there. So, um, yeah, man, Team Zuby all day long. So I'm very excited about it, man. And I guess from, uh, we were getting some questions from the audience and one of them was, what is just, what is the rep, what is specifically an NFC and what's to stop somebody from taking a chip and putting it on a fake. So like, what is the revolution with NFCs? Yeah, sure. N NFC stands for near field. Wait, one second. What does NFCs? I feel like it's near field. Is it near field communication? Something think, like that. Yeah, I think NFC is near field communication. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. So it's not, um, it's not a brand new technology, but it's uh, lots of headphones and other gadgets can pair up with uh, smartphones and other things like that using NFC. It just means that, I think, in fact, I think it's the same technology that's used in contactless, contactless cards, right? I think so. I think so. Something very similar, yeah, near, near field communication. So, um, so, sorry, what was the second question? How, what would stop someone from? Like the skeptics would say, oh, but I can just take this chip and put it on a hoodie that says Team Zuby that I made. So, oh, okay. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be able to get the chip. I mean, I guess you could cut a chip out of an original one and put it in a fake one, but I don't know why you, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. There's only three, there's only 300 of the chips that are going to exist. So unless you get one of the original products, you can't get a chip. You can't just throw some random NFC chip in there because it won't get verified by the app. So it would tell you that it's a fake. For sure. And also I was talking to Daryl and I was legitimately uh, trying to understand, which is easy once once you sort of discuss it, but it doesn't. It's not doesn't make something a hundred percent. You know, if something doesn't have the chip, then you know it's not verifiable. But the chip is just that added extra something extra layer of okay, can we verify this and we can know it's part of this collection. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I mean, I've done limited edition t-shirts and hats, et cetera before. And in theory, yeah, someone could really go out of their way and you know, make a reprint or a copy of uh, any limited edition merchandise. You know, people, people make fake stuff all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm not at the, um, I'm not at the level yet where I sort of worry about people making my merchandise. I'm not on the sort of Rolex Louis Vuitton. Kind hey, of level hey. Yes, you are. Massive issue. But maybe in the future, you know, the Team Zuby merchandise brand will be at that level where there's old factories in China that are, you know, fraudulently making my stuff. But as they say, you know, you know when you're becoming successful because you, you get new problems. So if that right. ever becomes a problem, then um, yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And um, well, how, how did you choose VeChain as opposed to Ethereum? Or is VeChain the only game in town to do this now? That is a fantastic question. Daryl uh, from the Bitcoin movement chose VeChain. Um, I do actually like VeChain. I'm familiar with VeChain myself. I, that's one of the coins that I was really looking into, especially early 2018. Um, and I've seen how the project has developed. And um, that's, a, that's a great example, actually, of a crypto asset, which I think has very real, real world applications. And this is literally what we're doing, you know, showing, being able to verify, prove the authenticity of products and things like that. That's not something that you directly use Bitcoin to do. So having something like VeChain, I think that's a fantastic way that uh, the technology can be implemented. And that's literally what we're doing. So for anyone who's out there sort of thinking like, oh, you know, blockchain technology, it sounds cool, but it has no purposes or it, everything's just, um, it's all digital tulips or whatever. It's like, no, the, this is your real world application of it. This is solving a real world problem. And um, for the collection, we're using it not to solve some gigantic issue, but it's a great example of how the technology can actually be used. It could be implemented in the future. So I'm very happy to be um, sort of, I guess, a pioneer in, in that regard. But I think what we're doing is, is groundbreaking. Man. It's awesome. Definitely. Definitely. And you mentioned one of the things that you're most looking forward to in 2021 is your crypto portfolio uh, getting gains. <laughs> could you give us a little bit of insight on what your crypto portfolio looks like, or maybe your, how you think about it, your strategy when investing in crypto? Yeah, man. Well, I used to be uh, very heavily into a lot of altcoins because like I told you the time I joined was when stuff was just crazy. Uh, when, when I when I, I saw when you know Neo was approaching two hundred dollars and Icon was twelve dollars and Ethereum was fourteen hundred and everything was just going bananas. So I used to be very heavily into altcoins, and then during the bear market, I realized quickly that I need to consolidate into Bitcoin because Bitcoin was the one thing that, regardless of the price level. I very, felt very comfortable holding. So even if the price of Bitcoin tomorrow were to drop five Gs, um, I'd still be happy knowing, okay, I still have X amount of Bitcoin. Whereas with some of the other ones, I'm like, I don't know if this is something I'd be comfortable to hold for you know, five years, 10 years plus. But with Bitcoin, I'd be happy to bury my Bitcoin in the ground and come back in 10 years time and <laughs> see how much it's worth. Um, I don't know about all the other ones. Maybe Ethereum, I could do that. But the others, I'm, I'm not so sure. So I'm like, to give a number, I'm about 80%, 80 to 85% in Bitcoin. And then the other 15% or so um, is in the like four or five different, four or five different altcoins. Um, and that's how I, I, I plan to stay at least, I think at all times, I'm probably going to always, no matter what, always stay at least 70% in Bitcoin in terms of my crypto portfolio. Um, I, I kind of 
learn. I, I learned in the last bear market not to, <laughs> not to, not to go too crazy. And you know, I got caught up in. All, I also, I also was part of the whole uh, when there was the ICO wave and all the all the ICOs were going crazy and everything like that. So I'm I'm very glad I saw that. It was a real baptism by fire. A real baptism by fire. 2018, 2019 was just brutal. I've never lost so much money so quickly in my life. <laughs> but um, I now look forward to being able to make uh, so much so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think things are going to get bigger and bubblier than 2017 because, I mean, it seems like the plumbing and infrastructure has 100x since then. People's ability to evaluate yep. different crypto projects has not really. I mean, everybody's coming in a little smarter understanding that Bitcoin is definitely revolutionary. They're definitely not coming in thinking like, um, you know, Bitcoin maximalists do. So I think things are going to get bigger and bubblier. Yeah, I, I agree, man. And um, I think that, I mean, serious people are investing in Bitcoin now. Some very, I know Jack Dorsey's put serious money in it. I know Grayscale's put very serious money in it. You've got like banks, banks are now investing in it. Um, what's his name? Michael Saylor and his capital group. MicroStrategy, yeah, that's the one. I mean, very serious people are placing big bets on Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, I, I think something I've learned over the years is, and this is part of why I got into crypto, sort of circling back to one of the earlier questions you asked me is, if a lot of very, very intelligent people are paying attention to something and are really, really interested in it and are especially putting their money into it, you should probably pay attention. It doesn't always mean that they're going to be right, but if you're seeing huge, no, if you're seeing a number of very, very successful, very, very wealthy, very, very intelligent people who are paying attention to something, there's probably something there. Um, and I, I'm definitely not a big one on following the crowd in terms of the sort of masses, you know, general people. But yeah, so some some minds are uh, definitely worth following. So. I saw that with crypto and like, like I said, I think that's something that's really happening now when people are putting their money where their mouths is, where their mouths is, mouths are, not sure. Um, so yeah, it's exciting, man. We'll, we'll see, man. I think 2021 is going to be a big year. And, but for me, man, I, I'm, I'm in this for like long-term. When I, when I started in putting some funds into this in 2017, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in this for like, I'm looking 10, 15 years down the line. I'm looking at this thing like, okay, what's, what's this thing going to be at when I'm 45? What's this thing going to be at when I'm 55? That's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at it like, okay, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a trader. I'm not a trader. I'm not just putting it in and letting it go up 10% and taking it out. Like if you're good, if you're good at that, God bless you. But um, I think it's important to know whether you're a trader or an investor, because if you try to sort of straddle that line, you're likely to get wrecked. I agree. And in our final five, 10 minutes, Zuby, if you'll indulge us, we have sort of like a hodgepodge of some audience questions, yeah, some random on. stuff. All right, cool. What's one song you wish you could have written? Like you, you relate to so hard. You're like, ah, it would be cool if I did that. Um, I'm Not Racist by Joyner Lucas. I love that one. <laughs> yep. I wish I wrote that song. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I wish I wrote that and I could have written that lyrical wordsmith genius. I actually showed that to Austin a couple months after I got out in Austin. You know, people get surprised when they go from beginning to end and Austin's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever come in contact with Joyner Lucas in your... Uh, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. We haven't, I haven't had any contact with him. Um, I've met a bunch of awesome rappers, but I haven't met nor spoken to Joyner. 
What is your personal style when it comes to rapping and music making? Um, so my first album was called Commercial Underground, and I called it that because that's what I consider my music. So when it comes to hip hop, I'm a lot of people sort of split hip hop into, you know, what they call mainstream or commercial and then underground hip hop or underground rap. And when it comes to the underground stuff, I found I, you know, you tend to get the better lyricists, you tend to get the better wordplay, people really care about the art form. But oftentimes, probably less so these days, but certainly in the past, the lyrics and the production used to be a little bit lacking. And then the mainstream stuff would always have the great production, great choruses, etc but the lyric the lyrics would just be lacking um so i always wanted to sort of combine those two things being someone who's able to uh be a serious lyricist and actually have be saying stuff that people care about and have a message in my music and use a lot of wordplay and stuff like that but also not abandon the musical side of things make sure the production is tight make sure that there are some interesting hooks and choruses on my music etc and it's not me just sort of rapping a straight 96 bars or something like that with with no proper hook so that, that, that's how I describe my music. So it's lyrical, but it's also, um, it's also accessible as well. Do you enjoy freestyling that much? I know it's slightly a different muscle, but to you, do you like it? Yeah, I don't do it that much. I mean, I can freestyle, but it's not something that, uh, it's not a muscle I work out very often. Um, once in a while, I'll be a situation where, where like a whole bunch of people are freestyling or whatever, just having fun with it and I'll, I'll join in. But um, it's not, I'm a much better writer than I am a freestyler. Would you be able to share with us uh, a line or two that you've written, either from the new album or the old album? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can. Uh, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> off the new album, like I've been writing so quickly that I haven't memorized stuff off of it. But um, any, any particular song? I mean, I've got so many, I've got so many songs. I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> whatever one's, whatever one's the best. Well, I guess yeah. just one that you, on the top yeah. of your head that you like in this. Something moment. off the top of my head. Um, and, you know, let's see. Probably going to think of the really good one after we're done with this, uh, zoom interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You know, you know, rapping's like, a, like a whole different part of my brain to doing an interview. So I, I have, to, have to do it. Um, I'm working hard to make a milli baby flow was never wheezy couple hundred thousand fans and it all started with a freebie used to see me on the street and now they see me on the TV going gloat going viral like Corona so they try to quarantine me a couple real celebrities but most of them frauds tell you how I really feel because my only fear is God they be lying on the media and lying through the mob hate a simp on social media they've never seen abroad I be coming to America like Sammy and Akeem I'm uniting black and white and brown like modern Luther's dream. And I get around the internet like presidential memes and I did it independently, I never had a team. You've come a long way, please don't go commercial now. Careful with your words, don't be controversial now. Winning nothing less, F of victimhood mentality because I am not oppressed and that's a check to your reality. Boom. <laughs> that reminded me of uh, like, put that on a like run the jewels beat. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, so that, that that's the first person off. Okay, dude. Um, I had to like shift gears to like get in rap mode. There, but, um, it's that's awesome. It. I think that's a great way to end the conversation, Zuby. It was great having you on. For our audience, where can they find you? Yeah, man. Sure thing. So my main website is zubymusic.com. If you want to get my book, Strong Advice, you want to get any of my music, merchandise, teamzuby.com. And you can find me on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, 
Facebook and YouTube at Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music. Boom. I love it. Everybody in our audience, they have 300 uh, uh, thing apparel uh, available, hats, hoodies. Uh, buy them all before uh, Joe Rogan's audience does and uh, check out Team Zuby Music.